0: If you're the caraway, just, just call carry. Mitchell Tall. Or, or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Tall.
1: Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Tall.
0: Buy a, a separate house, house, just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. 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 Real estate. Oh yeah,
1: real little real estate. We We want more. I'm Ilana Raspash, and this is Radio Architecture. Good evening from beautiful Bunurong country. We are broadcasting to you live from the ancestral lands of the ancient Kulin Nation. If you'd like to join our conversation this evening, please text the studio on 0493-213-831. And if you've missed those numbers, just hit contact us through the Instagram button at Radio Architecture. My guest this evening is Sarah Hobday-North, who's practiced in urban design, design for education and residential architecture. She is the daughter of architects, so obviously she studied to become a high school teacher. Sarah is sick of architecture being and feeling out of people's reach. She believes in being the change you want to see, and no one can create effective change on their own. This is why, in 2023, she launched Architect GP with a core group of like-minded architects. What Sarah does best is listen, engage, and workshop in real time. Whether with her clients or her students at Melbourne and Monash Universities, where she's a tutor, she brings issues and solutions to life through dialogue and illustration. Sarah brings the experience of architectural design into people's homes long before the project is even built. And that means confident clients and better outcomes. Sarah has worked about improving people's homes and lives by making architecture accessible. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Ilana. So glad to chat. So glad to chat also in person. Uh, You're very active online and you're really, really engaged across the Archie Twitter community and on LinkedIn and now the launch of Architect GP as well. You're really trying to communicate yes. how, to, to
0: a broader audience how how important <laughs> I'm um, delighted to... I'm delighted that you think um, I'm present on those platforms because it is I mean it it, it is a um, a minefield to navigate your you know you 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 talk this stuff out into an abyss of sorts um, and you hope that people uh, are hearing and yes I do. Um, Just this last week, Architect GP got a, uh, a, a booking and a consultation from someone who discovered us on Instagram. And although I'm a child of the 80s and grew up with computers and all the rest of it, it still feels... Unnatural because architects were actually forbidden from advertising until the 1970s in Australia. Really? I didn't know that. It was – we were a noble profession just like doctors aren't allowed to advertise Um, and as a consequence I think our profession is light years behind other professions in our ability to communicate what we do and the value we bring and that we are actually – Approachable and accessible, so um, yes, social media is—it's it, just media now. I mean, it's 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 out there. So um, yes, I'm out there as Architectrix um, and as Architect GP.
1: Fabulous. Well, welcome to the program. It is good to know that it is working. Sometimes we feel yes. like we are yelling into the <laughs> void of, of public space and social media, but it, it, it is an interesting one too, because we, we have architects from Sydney talking to architects and Melbourne talking oh. to architects and Tassie, and we're, we're broaching the state divide yes. in our own city based discourse, aren't
0: we? we? We we are. Um, I would not be where I am now with, without the platform formerly known as Twitter, because it connected me with like-minded architects in Sydney, um, and I've since met amazing people in Brisbane, etc. And this is, uh, you you can find your people and and magnify what you do. That's what they always advise us,
1: right? On every. Um career advice (laughs) gathering of every kind of support networking event it's always find your people definitely
0: I used to think like in my especially in my in my 20s I used to think that networking was about finding this golden room you know the golden room of of the people who've figured it out but I've realized that no no your network really is the people you know, the hard part is figuring out what it is you want to do and what you have to offer and how you're going to connect with these people you know. And so once you've got a clear, um, you're able to articulate what it is your mission is, what it is your purpose is, then people go, oh, that's really interesting. I know a guy or that's really interesting. My sister-in-law you know, is, has been talking about an extension or that's really interesting. How about you come on a radio show? You know, that's (laughs) (laughs) guilty. (laughs) That's, um, that's how these things happen. So, um, the democratization of, of our, of our purpose is, is a wonderful thing. The, the, the flip side of course, is that we get a lot of noise and there's a lot of, um, bumps and and cautions to avoid out there in the big bad world of social media but when you find your tribe when you but we meet them with an open mind um it can be a truly wonderful community building experience mm. Enjoy. i'm an architect not a techie why am i talking about social media but hey when it works it is a delight <laughs> it's almost a necessary poison
1: and we have to engage with it when yeah. we come to this place we have to in fact this radio show that's the way we share follow up pictures and can provide a visual even though we're having
0: conversations that's right it is a it's a it augments our reality but in but when you feel connected and when you genuinely are connected to the people it's an augmentation of real life it, and that's where i think it does its best its best work
1: mm. Mm. like that <laughs> I, I like to ask a question of all my guests, and I, I feel that you probably already know what that is. And that's, what's your earliest memory of a building or place?
0: Yeah, um, my earliest memory of a building is my parents, um, Av Jennings, designed, um, you know, spec home in the suburbs of Werribee. So I grew up west side. Um, And I remember the hallway and I'm kind of toddling down the hallway. Um, It was a house that – so my mother and my stepfather are architects and – Mum, of course, modified the plan before you know sod was turned before the strip footings were poured. You could do
1: that back then with no extra cost
0: <laughs> yeah, so she she got an architect design because she was she just graduated at the time, um, probably just been registered in the very early eighties, so she um. She made sure there was a, a timber deck out the front and made sure that that wall that would have separated the kitchen had a servery window through it, etc., et cetera, et cetera. So she put her mark on the A.V. Jennings house um, and I can still virtually walk around that floor plan even though I left the house when I was four. Um, then there's my, my grandmother's kitchen which was my mum got to do the classic architect thing of designing her parents' house um, famous names like Eameses um, got to do the same thing. See, my, my parents are architects, so I never got to design their house. I scarcely got to design my own because <laughs> they were so enthusiastic. Um, but my grandmother's house and my grandfather's house was designed by my mum when they retired. And I remember the, the beautiful sky-blue laminate kitchen benches um, and... Oh, the print of the lino floor in the kitchen. And although, of course, you know, the kitchen got redone, I think, in the late 90s or early 2000s and and various things, of course, got upgraded, but the house never fundamentally changed. The renovations were always um, cosmetic at the level of changing those really serviced parts of the house. Um the orientation was right because, you know, the sun has not moved from its path, you know. You the know. bones were good. The bones were good and so hence the colours changed and things but my memories of that house are always consistent and, yeah, it's a lovely thing. Was there a
1: favourite colour? In, in favourite its, in colour. In the seasons.
0: Um, apart from the vivid blue of the kitchen bench, which did eventually go... There was a feature wall in the lounge which was a eucalyptus green um, and it was a, a high ceiling up to the exposed timber rafters. So you had the warmth of the brown timbers exposed up against the eucalyptus green. You
1: could find that on Instagram this week.
0: You oh, you could and, oh, there are, you know um, – Uh, psychological PhDs have been written about colour and colour theory and all the rest of it, but I do think that there are some combinations which are classic, just like there's food tastes that always go together. You know, you can't beat chocolate and raspberry. You know, you can't beat wood brown and leaf green. We are hardwired to see certain colours go together, you know, so we can exploit that um, for timeless design. I think beautiful. I tend to ask architects or those
1: that come from multi generational architectural mm. families if they had any choice in the matter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did we have any choice in the matter? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I saw. Look, I saw what hard work it was. You know, my parents were running their practice. Um, you know, in my memory through the through the nineties, um, where you know it was, it was tough. You know the joke in Melbourne was how do you how do you hire an architect, and the punchline is you hail a taxi. I knew that was coming because <laughs> <laughs> you know either that or you 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 order fries. You know because that was that was the case, um, which is an issue about the perceived luxury and how we'd marketed ourselves as a profession as you know the peak of the pyramid. And hence we could be chopped off. Maybe we'll come back to that. So architects were out of work in general. My parents stayed in business. Um, they worked hard doing, you know, anything. They, they, they did carports and then they did secondary schools. You know, it's, um, they, they built it up. Um, so I started by, you know, making coffee. Then, you know, once I could, I eventually, you know, I was typing mum's hand-drafted letters because even from a young age I could type better than my mum's two-fingered typing. Um, my stepfather taught me my first CAD on um, Archicad version 6 and just we're now up to version 27, I think. So um, it was sort of in my DNA, you know, sending thermo roll faxes, you know, on the, on the groaning fax machine. Um, so I grew up in the admin and saw the hustle and bustle of, of, um, of architecture. I'd be picked up from school and we'd do a site visit on the way home and I, um, I'd see my mum striding over open floor joists at a house under construction, you know, high heels and talking to a builder. So, I'm so grateful that I've never, ever questioned my gender in architecture because it's like, mum just smashed that. <laughs> she smashed that for me, which was awesome. Such a powerful example. Absolutely. Or be not safe on the construction site and <laughs> deals, <Yeah. Peels.
1: laughs> listeners, please wear steel cap boots.
0: Thank you. This is your community service announcement from Alana Rasbash. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Um, you know, times change, standards change and... um, that's, that's, that's progress. And usually things change for the better. Badass. I'm seeing like an image of legally blonde
1: in my mind, but the architecture. Oh, with a pink, uh, maybe a
0: bright pink construction helmet. Excellent. In that, in that case, but no, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Look, I was academic at school. I, you know, I was, I was, I was a nerd. I was the smart kid who did well, um, had sufficient coordination to, to make the first softball team, but you know, was was really known as the smart kid, so um, there was always a chunk of expectation about you know I was definitely going to go to university, um, but no other nothing else I guess captivated me, and so there was an element when it came to you know you having your, you have to put something on your on your uni papers you know your in your enrolments and applications, it was. Pretty much architecture, and then interior design all the way down the list. Um, I so you did apply for it first. It was later
1: the foray into yeah, education.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I I did um, architecture straight out of uni. So I started uni at I was seventeen, which meant O week was you know <laughs> slightly slightly dull, or I had to just sneak in behind sneak in behind my slightly you know ID carded colleagues Um, and so I I went right through I had my um, urban design experience when I'd finished third year Um, I got a job at for building design partnership BDP in London and lived there um, for six months finished my degree finished my master's went back to London um, and worked with them for another two years It was nice to be asked back um, and it was after coming back to Melbourne and doing um, education work um, and learning about how pedagogy, so the, the art and science of teaching and learning um, is affected by the physical space in which students and teachers work and what that means for design um, and this was being taught to you in the educational faculty? This was – so I never studied um, education design in university. I learnt that in um, my parents' practice, now architecture, um, in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, what are we talking about, mid-2000s? That means around 2010-ish. Um and i thought well this this whole education thing is actually really interesting and i'm really quite exhausted with architecture at the moment um you know there's there is a lot of i found it i found bits of it very stressful um maybe there was a sense of did i choose this you know it was all destiny and walking through the the family path etc but um i look in some ways I had—I felt at that time I had to retrain and kind of try another profession because to leave my parents' practice and try another job at another firm would have felt like a family betrayal. Mm. That I think was part of it. I respected the work that they did to the degree that I didn't want to hurt them um, my mum and my mum and stepdad will probably listen to this podcast down the track, and I love you, mum. <laughs> I love you, Nev. Well, they can text, us, they they can text can... us. their thoughts and join the conversation <laughs> if they're listening tonight as well. So yeah, so I went and studied um, high school teaching, but it was also motivated by a passion, a genuine, genuine passion I have for education. And I thought, right, we need to we need to be teaching design. A, a A love and an appreciation of the value of design to people younger. So you know, um, I I went I went back to uni. I studied my grad dip ed and I became a art and design teacher at at a um, city at a suburban high school um, at Brunswick Secondary College. And that was not a long term career path. It was it was very difficult. Um, and eventually I, I came back to architecture but with a different perspective mm. and became able to say, no, architecture itself can be different. I was It was stressful and I found it difficult doing it the old way, as it were, in inverted commas. And now I think over that experience gave me the permission to go, no, I can do this differently because something's got to give. I'm not. I know I'm not the only one out there who's also struggled with the difficulties in this profession. And why the heck does it have to be like that? Because every kid in that there were parents in that school who were just elated that their children were learning design. There's um, a we have so there was a a significant migrant population in the area, and I had. You know, father. One father in particular at a parent teacher interview um, said, "Oh, we just have. I'm. A, I am so proud that my daughter is is learning um, design. We have nothing like this in my home country. You know, he and he almost wanted me to sort of explain the principles or almost like learn. You know, what what can you teach me in the interview? Because he was so interested. So there's nothing wrong out there." out there in, in in the real world with people's um, extrinsic and intrinsic knowledge and appreciation of design. So what gives? So clearly I thought the problems with architecture, we're the ones that have got to change. So the last eight years or so have been, have been that journey. How did it begin, Value Architects Group? It began with Value Architects Group um, – which was me hanging up my shingle, as it were, um, but wanting within myself, wanting it to be not Sarah Hobday North design. I wanted to keep the, to use the cliche, to keep the ego out of it. It wasn't that I, Sarah, have the best ideas in architecture, and you should come to me. Sort of, you know, putting the name there as connected. I wanted the business to be more inclusive, to um, to not be personality driven as such. I mean, of, of course, I'm there as the principal um, architect. Um, however, I wanted I wanted people to, I guess, connect with the firm and me on an additional level some That's some broader values. That's
1: interesting you say that though because it's for you it's obviously very important to be the person at, mm. behind the work or the the person that offers the conversation the cup of tea the 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 service <laughs> that people are booking in on an hourly rate to pay. Ah. So if for me mm-hmm. it sort of feels like you've actually come full circle <laughs> where you've you've been looking to divorce from the ego and this this idea of that kind of famous corporate big firm culture sometimes, you know, that image, that cliche, how we're misrepresented in like movies, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the big A architecture and then kind of return back around to being actually who I am as a yeah. person is important because th-
0: clients want that. Love it. I, I think I think the difference is that every architect has to realise you as an individual are not going to change the world and you as an individual are not going to transform the public perception of architecture. So, what um, the next iteration that well, the new uh, concept of architect GP says all right, all the things that I've learned and kind of yes, experimented with but effectively through Value Architects Group about a more home based consultative way of relating to clients which elicits so much more involvement they you know they a client is the only person who is guaranteed to be there at the start and the end of the project Hmm. however it goes so the 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 thinking at value architects group is always to empower the client and i can do that even really successfully until the cows come home, and I'm only going to touch 200 people in my career. So architect GP says, right, let's let's open up this model and take the learnings and welcome other like-minded approachable architects in, and save every individual firm the hassle of having to reinvent the their own wheel of, of that offering and and market it to their local communities and all the rest of it. An individual architect is is like every we, – we don't learn business at, at university. We all figure that out. Um, so architect GP says, right, this is a community with a certain set of values. When you book an architect from this platform, you're getting someone who – already gets it that they're going to bring a packet of biscuits to your house with their tracing paper, sit down with you and actively listen and and help you meet you where you are and figure out your next best steps. What are some of those core values that Architect GPs builds on? Yeah. Um, definitely approachability and accessibility, uh, by which we mean that um, if that – We value the effort that it takes from a client or a prospective client to make an inquiry Um, that no call should go unheard. (laughs) Um, We believe in... It's a really... Yeah. we, We believe in approachability and accessibility and transparency. So a problem with traditional architecture business model might be that a prospective client makes an inquiry to an architect who you know say either word of mouth comes recommended or you've seen them in houses magazine or sanctuary um, and you make an inquiry and there's always I can from the client's point of view there is always a risk that you might get rejected (laughs) you know the, the architect Will hopefully wholeheartedly look at your project and go, "This is wonderful. Let's let's do some work together." Um, But the process will start with a fee proposal, and a fee proposal probably for full services, which means taking you from the very first, well, so what's your, what is the problem and what is the project conversation and the briefing, right through concept design, design development, then we. We we tender it and we find a builder and then I'm still with you when the builder's on site and, and you know I'm there in the last meeting to hand over the keys with the builder so that's sort of full services and that in itself is a daunting daunting chunk of time and potentially daunting amount of money to be looking at even though you know it's going to roll out as a process over the next two or three years. Um, that can be a huge um, not just financial barrier, sort of barrier to entry perception wise, but also time and commitment wise. Um, there's got to be so not not everyone is in that position or that market. So architect GP just winds that right back and says, we can inject, Design value to yes to the product is the meaning the home the house the you know the building in question because there's usually a building in question when you've called an architect. Um, But it's also about uh, coaching the client into what the next steps in the process are. Are you aware of this? Here's the here's the um, review of the council planning overlays. You know, be aware of this and be aware of that. Um, it's referrals that other, other builders or other pathways, other design and construct uh, consultants in your area. So hence, it's about having a network of local architects who are approachable, who are knowledgeable about your um, – whether it's in Brisbane, um, in Sydney, in Newcastle, in Melbourne, southeast Melbourne, north – um, who, who know the conditions, know the climate, know the local industry, um, probably know your housing type because houses are built with with certain principles and replication. And, probably and, know the planning scheme. And they know the planning scheme. And they're there in your home physically looking at it the client can physically point at things and, you know, bash the kitchen bench that annoys them and, and and take them outside and say, I want a better connection to outdoors. And the architect is there and workshopping and brainstorming those ideas with the client in real time. It takes away this kind of unveiling mystique that I think, Um, architecture has been the reality TV shows thrive on it. The big reveal, (laughs) the room reveal. The big reveal, the room reveal, what will it be? I don't think clients should feel like it's a room reveal when they're seeing their plans Unveiled. You know, they should have a sense of where things are going because they've been consulted in the process. Absolutely, and have been along for that
1: journey. Yeah. We're lucky that BM lets us pretty much see everything down to the teacup in 3D. <laughs> yeah, you can take your clients to big plan and project the plans yes. on the ground and move move some couches around and yep. get much more of a sense of the What that if journey. we put the
0: bed on the other wall and how big is this really? And yeah, it's a wonderful experience. Can you
1: take us into what's the journey like for booking? booking a consultation, booking an appointment, mm, if you mm, will, mm, with mm. an architect GP, what is that experience like? What, what, what should people be doing
0: and what can they expect? Lovely. So um, architectgp.au is a um, website that will describe uh, what we're about and where our architects are and why we're different from other architects or other modes of of practice. Um, And then you click on services and there's a menu of things that will address particular life stage needs. So you don't go to Architect GP and say click I want a floor plan, you know, click I want a bathroom redo. It's you click and say, ah, renovating for family. Yes, my, I'm about to have a third kid and oh my God. Or yes, my, um, my primary school kids are about to turn into teenagers and before I know it, my house is going to feel really small. We need a second lounge area. So where renovating for family is a key change point in a, in a households life people and the home um, downsizing when kids move out um, I'm looking at moving and trying to choose between this house with this orientation or this house with a different floor plan orientation how do I decide which house is better which one's got more opportunities so Pre, pre-purchase consultation. pre-purchase consultations um, uh, a sustainability health check how do I improve energy and sustainability in my house? Um, etc. So you look at this menu of services. The simplest ones are, let's book a 30-minute chat with Sarah. Boom. Um, or let's book a one-hour chat with the architect in my local area. Um, so then you, you click on it and you can, oh my goodness, architecture services you can book online you, you book into mine or one of the architect GP's calendars, boom, there and then, and you pay online and that is your slot confirmed. Then you're going to receive a whole, a bag of tricks with pre-meeting prep questionnaires, the agenda for the meeting, the things the architect is sort of going to come thinking about so that you have the resources to be ready and get maximum value out of that time. Phenomenal. The architect comes to your home with, um, with some Tim Tams and their trace paper and their desktop research that they've done before the meeting. Um, you make the tea or coffee or put a bottle of water on the table and you're going to have a great experience with that architect for an hour and a half or two hours depending on the type of booking. And they'll give you a verbal summary, next steps. Then when they go back to their computer in the next week, while it's all still fresh in their heads, they're giving you a written summary and some follow-up. Because it often happens in a meeting that there's a, you know, you get to a point into the nitty-gritty of the, of the task where there's a specific question um, and the architect can do some research uh, when they get back to their desk and follow up. And then you've got this um, physical record there in your inbox of the visual and verbal things that that were discussed and the options that were presented it's not it's not that you always get a i mean an architect cannot design your whole house um you know i've got a greenfield site and i'm going to book a two-hour meeting with my architect gp and i'm going to award-winning napkin (laughs) that's an an award-winning an award-winning serviette design um but that architect, if, if that was the context, you know, Greenfield site, maybe you've arranged to meet them in a local cafe around the corner so that you can pop around, um, they would have mapped out on a site plan key principles that would drive the siting of the house, like orientation, setbacks from the planning code. And it is so um, empowering to actually see that design work happening in front of you. It takes away a lot of the, I think, mystery that architecture still, for deliberately or accidentally, is is still wrapped up in. Um, you know, the the magic happens in the back office, and then it's brought out to the client on some beautiful table and unveiled. No, it architecture is as mu- is a process, um, not a. Object. So you're seeing architecture happen yeah. in front of you.
1: Yeah, it's a collaboration. It's a conversation.
0: I think so because you're always doing it for someone, um, and when you do things for people, you should inherently do it with them as well, um, unless there's, you know, the 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 old architect patron relationship. Um, you know gaudi was given free license basically with with signor guell and made amazingly crazy things which fortunately mr guell thought were astounding and wonderful you know but that's a very unusual like artist patron kind of relationship and that's not that's not where architecture is going to bring in my opinion real value Um, at the grassroots because we all live in homes and we all have problems that need solving.
1: What I think is really amazing about your offering is that, A, you're giving clients an opportunity to start a conversation, to brainstorm ideas without feeling trapped. And can spend a couple of hundred bucks to save hundreds of thousands down the track. So from a cost benefit, it's a no brainer, especially if they're a mildly serious client Mm, who's mm. legitimately considering the project. It's a very easy expense. But most importantly, perhaps even you're providing an opportunity for so many more people to connect with architects and get some advice and get some input and help make a better decision or save them from
0: making a really expensive mistake. That's it. Sometimes the best advice is what points you towards what you should not be doing, um, so that is definitely part of part of our conversations. Yes, it should be as easy and as normal to consult an architect about your home as it is to consult a doctor about your health yes or an arch- or an accountant about your
1: taxes should be as easy and as normal to consult an architect about your home as it is a doctor about your health i just have to repeat that again <laughs> like <laughs> to myself and to everybody because that is so true and you wouldn't disrespect your doctor your lawyer your accountant mm. the same way that sometimes people treat their architect
0: Perhaps um, that might be being putting too much responsibility on the on the client or the would be client because there are plenty of would be patients out there who also you know do Google Doctor. Yeah. Um, there is a heck of a lot of information out there. The on on excellent quality housing on you know cutting edge or just beautifully done sustainability sensitive stuff you can you can read and and you know learn all this stuff the challenge always comes though how does this apply to me
1: Mm.
0: how does this knowledge actually apply specifically in my situation on my site with my house in this level of repair or disrepair with this particular roofing system, which is, you know, traditional stick build rather than a trust roof, with with aluminium windows, Ah, but they're those aluminium windows from 25 years ago. No, aluminium windows have moved on a long way since then, blah, blah, blah. So there is so much knowledge but the skill is in there are people, some of them are called architects who have devoted their lives to Figuring out and learning and keeping up to date with design, with product, with the science of regulation, with regulation and law, who really do know some stuff about how this works. It's not that we are fancy prima donnas who must have the photo from the northwest corner over the pool into that beautiful steel framed window blah blah you know big our signature photograph no that is I think a a damaging well it is it's a damaging stereotype of so many architects who are actually they really just want to do good work for people just like your community doctor wants to keep people well and out of hospital and look after their long-term health When you go and see an architect, it's called, all right, well, you know, this might be my, a long-term building. I mean, a long-term building, five years is a long time, 10 years is a long time. A forever house is a very long time. But even a forever house, you know, you are going to change as a person over that period of time. So let's think about that. Let's think about what forever means. Yeah, define forever. You know, there's a great briefing question, (laughs) you know. Um, I actually was talking to a client, last week and it's like so is this is this um how did how did we phrase it Yeah, well, is this your forever house and they sort of nodded emphatically and then looked at each other and went well yeah you know <laughs> as if as if they hadn't yeah considered well it, we then. i'm sure it is forever but you know unless the inference between this husband and wife seemed to be Well, insofar as we can surmise and unless something amazing comes along, you know, one never knows. (laughs) 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 And um, but so yes, to a a bit of a bit of jargon when um when I and our architect GPs are talking with clients is we interrogate the brief. Now that doesn't mean you're you're getting cross examined under hot lights. It's it is a bit of archie jargon to mean Where we dig deeper into the questions and assumptions that might be wrapped up so you know I we need a third bedroom okay um tell me what's going to happen in that third bedroom what do you mean well is it is it a room for sleeping do you actually is what you're talking about meaning a study space are you expecting this third bedroom to be some kind of outdoor cabana that's connecting to the pool you know um not many people have pools. None of my clients have had pools. Perhaps I need a client with a pool. <laughs> I've <laughs> mentioned them twice. But, the you know, we, we want a we wanna bigger dining room. Oh, okay. So how many uh, do you do formal dinner parties or... Yes, we, we do. We, we always host, we always host the big Christmas dinner and we, we are the family house for birthdays. Great, you do need a bigger dining room versus, oh, no, I've just got this old table, you know, that's the family heirloom but we usually use it, you know when in COVID I had me working up one end and my husband working down the other end of the table and so dining room in that context means something very different Mm. which might lead to then different design responses to study versus furniture display versus dining room. So interrogation of the brief just means let's get down to what is really meant And unpack the assumptions here and those conversations can sometimes be you know happen quite quickly really taking people on that journey to understand what it is they
1: want and cutting through back to social media to almost bring it full circle (laughs) cutting through what they've been told they need because it's expensive every square meter is actually money yes and you can use your budget so much better to get such a much higher quality outcome much better quality and Arguably better designed to when it's tighter, smaller, more efficient actually there for the client's needs. So you're supporting people through that journey. Mm. What's one of your favourite moments or is there a story or client
0: interaction you can share with us? A client interaction. Um, one was um, I was talking with Linty after after we'd had a discussion I was talking with Linty about um, she was looking for a new home. So it was a um, a design review of prospective houses uh, was the service in that in that situation. And it was actually afterwards um, when we ran into each other again, she said, oh, Sarah, the thing that stuck with me is what you said in our very first meeting. You said, just remember that a home is for living in. And that. That just, oh, just took a load off my mind and made everything feel so much simpler. Just and remember a home is for living in. A home is for living in. And thinking back on that, it it I think demonstrates what, what you were saying, Alana, that there are a lot of um are a lot of people we're told what we want. Houses become product or object or it's a consumable you know massive talking at the moment as we're in a um a bit of a housing crisis that there is a need for people to live in housing and then there are you know then there's arguments about negative gearing and the commodification of housing and the investment of housing and that that, that house is also wrapped up in product and money and resale value and all those things which yes are important but how have all those things come about? Because people need homes for living in. So to design a home that is that works for you, you know what that will probably work for someone else. Oh, absolutely!
1: Too. <laughs> it's even so interesting that that transfers to ideas. I've heard this concept in in storytelling, even that when things get really, really personal and you drill down to that real detail that is you it suddenly expands to become universal
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good design yeah you get you get to a, a level of truth that becomes applicable oh it's all very very romantic sounding um other clients have simply been amazed to go so I was talking to one client about who wanted to improve the energy efficiency of their home um and they came to me and their first question was, oh, you know, what what could we expect it to cost if when we double glaze all the windows? Because, you know, they, they, they had a single glazed uh, townhouse and they knew that double glazing was better performance. And so, right, that was already on their agenda. Um, and while I was there, I put my they'd pulled out a downlight at my suggestion and I put my hand on my camera. First I put my hand up into the downlight hole to sort of feel around the roof and I'm gesturing here in the studio, ladies and gentlemen. Was it breezy? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I put my phone camera up and took a few photos with the flash to confirm Yeah, there was no insulation in the ceiling at all. So it was a cathedral ceiling um, you know, meaning that that the the plasterboard is following the same line as the roof. So that was a, it was a thin sort of ceiling cavity, but mm. no insulation had been put in there at all, which is atrocious because it was built, I think, in the early two thousands. So mm, naughty, it, naughty, 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 naughty. Um, and so I sit down with the client and go, right, do not double glaze until you have insulated the roof and you know here's my thermal camera and we'll check your walls while while I'm here but the the building envelope is a hundred times more important than the windows it is only worth upping the glazing performance of your windows once the walls which are a much higher percentage of the covering of the envelope of your home are high performing and it's going to be cheaper and more effective because you're getting, you know, you'll, you'll be improving 80% of your envelope rather than 20% and to a higher level. So instead the, the, the focus of the meeting went, um, into right. What are the best strategies for insulating the ceiling? Um, how might you, um, re-insulate or beef up the insulation in the walls? And so windows were still there. Then they, they had an order of attack and a, a right, we got to talk to um, carpenters and plasterers first before we get down to talk to people about glazing. And that meant, right, we've got a clear strategy and this couple just, you know, sort of knew what to do next. And they jumped into it. Yeah, and they jumped into it. Saved them thousands. Yeah, well, that's it, you know, 40 grand as a, as a starting point if they were going to redo every window in that place um, but easily less than, well, you know, I think it would have been 10 to 15 to, to rectify the ceiling and you're going to get a better outcome from that. So it's, again, the knowledge is there, but, you know, what do you diagnose? You know, what do, you know, just as a doctor will, you know, feel your tummy to, you know, to, to diagnose if it's, if it's just a bad prawn that you had last night or whether it is a lump and might need further exploration. So a, an architect can – and look, good builders too – can know where to look in your home to figure out the, the core of the problem um, and then design. Then you know what the design problem is and you can move towards a much more effective solution.
1: It's like in full services if we are engaged at the very end to help, or rather during construction to help deliver the project, we're the impartial administrators of the contract. And it comes to me that we're actually, if we, with the service you offer through Architect GP, you become the impartial diagnostician, because <laughs> yeah. we're not trying to sell you windows, we're not trying to sell you carpentry, we're not trying to sell you our services. So it's much safer, almost, for clients to come to yourself and to have that conversation rather yeah. than talking to their handyman or builder they know that are earnestly really Absolutely. looking through their lens. Absolutely. Oh, I can build it or I can sell you new windows. They're, it's not necessarily that they're mm. even looking for a sale. They're just saying what they know. Yep. And it's more as generalists or GPs, general practitioners, yep. <laughs> you have that uh, overview of understanding of what are the possible solutions yep. here. Yeah,
0: if, if if you think in – <laughs> If you go to a, a, a massage therapist, you're going to get a massage. If you go to acupuncturist, they're going to fix your problem with acupuncture. Um, if you go to your medical GP, they'll go, right, well, you can um, we can send you to a physio, follow it up with some remedial massage. Um, and look, the, the statistics are that acupuncture does have an effect. So you could consider that if that's a, a Track you want to go down. The doctor themselves doesn't get any commission, doesn't get any payback. They're they're taking a neutral view, indeed. So when you consult an architect, um, you are getting someone impartial to set you down the track. When you engage an architect GP, you're also getting someone who doesn't, whose payment doesn't rely on there being a big project. Mm. So another quirk of traditional architecture which 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 works you know when there's a project this works but is to have a percentage fee base um more architects are going to fixed fee now so let's say you know if you've got half a million dollars to spend on your house some architects will say right my fee is fifty thousand dollars for full services um other architects will say my fee is 10% of the budget or 12% of the budget so as if the project the scope increases or the cost of the project increases on a percentage fee the cynical way of looking at it is that well there's more in it for the architect cause their percent their proportion their percentage you know is is based on a bigger budget but if you get the scope right if you can get the scope right first, you minimise that scope creep um, and if you engage an architect who's just there to help in that diagnostic process, thanks for the analogy, um, they're not, they've not got any perceived conflict of interest in, in where this goes. So it's, ar- it's architecture as a neutral service where the only interest is to give as much value to the client in that time as possible. Because then you'll tell your sister-in-law and your cousin and, you know, the, the guy down the street that, oh, if you're, if you're doing something with that bathroom, you should, you should give us a call, you know, spread the love win-win. Some of your colleagues
1: who are on board across the country, so this is not just Victoria, this is is actually nationally spreading It is.
0: Some of your colleagues, and huge congratulations. Thank you. you. So it's a testament to the, the attitude is out there. The uptake from architects has been fantastic, which I take great heart in. It says, this is what confirms to me that you know, the the cynical artistic fee, you know, percentage fee scabbing architect is is a dead and dying stereotype because the uptake has been great. Uh, the,
1: these professionals, your colleagues who
0: are jumping mm. on is this
1: all they do or they run their practice parallel? Or? They,
0: they are all um, have their home practice, um, if you like. So, um, for example... Up in, well here in Melbourne, um, I my I serve the the north the inner north of Melbourne, um, and Karen Erdos, who's a passive house certified architect, um, Karen Erdos Architecture. She serves the southeast. So, um, and then in we've got in in Malden or just near Castlemaine, we've got Brad Hooper, who is a local wizard um, and, and knows every everything and everybody there is to know around Castlemaine and Malden and Bendigo. Um, in Sydney, um, uh, Louise O'Brien runs Apsara Architecture. We've got Jennifer Crawford, who's our new home coach, who's incredible. So, yes, everyone has their practice they are committed they are they are walking the walk and then they are these special architects who are who understand the importance and the value of new modes of practice and they 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 do architect gp in addition to their regular practice so you know in principle you might think that Jennifer or Louise or Karen are amazing and say, well, I want you to keep going and, and, do, and do my extension. And then you talk to them. That's, that's fine. That's, that's off platform. Architect GP is about the diagnostic, being there at the start, and and being approachable and transparent.
1: So it's an opportunity also for practitioners and particularly probably small practice owners to sign on and become an architect GP and also help help meet more people,
0: meet more clients. Absolutely. Look, there's for from a practitioner's point of view, there is always the potential that architect GP can be something of a a funnel um, to use. Oh, the number of marketing terms I've learned in the last six months is is phenomenal. Buckle up <laughs> um, to to other work, but the spirit of architect GP is that my my goal is to be an exclusive um, general practitioner. Is is to to be that um, the accessible um, workshop based helping as many people as possible connect with knowledge in the industry and other professional pathways lovely and some of those services and meetings they also
1: offered online someone's in a remote location just prefers to have conversations Mm. online
0: yeah um so we've got phone consultations bang we've got in-home consults bang and at the moment the online um approach would be it's not formal on like you don't you don't you at the moment. We you can't buy a workshop and then automatically say get a Zoom link for oh, that okay. for that date, um, but that can be coordinated with your uh, with your practitioner. I mean it, it's only a buzz Sarah on the contact form away, and we have um, so our Brisbane architect um, is looking at a remote meeting with someone on the Sunshine Coast, for example. I actually consulted with someone in Brisbane before we had. Um, Emma Healy are uh, on board. So yes, um, the um, the wonders of, of Zoom and what you can do with a document camera is just exciting. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, this has
1: been a fabulous conversation, Sarah. I want to ask my last question. Please. And that's what gives you hope? What
0: gives me hope? Well, what gives me hope is that um, within, within two months of formerly existing architect GP went from having four architects on the platform to having seven Um, and the conversations that I'm having with people in the profession about new modes of practice is what gives me hope because architecture itself needs to and now I can confidently say is changing to provide more value. Look at how much existing housing stock we have. There is only so many brand new passive houses that can be built. For example, we are not going to save the world and improve most people's living conditions and comfort and joy at coming home um, by just building brand new buildings. We need to work with existing houses and existing stock and for architects and their clients to be learning that this is possible and finding new ways to do it It gives me hope.
1: Mm, The joy of coming home. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on the program, Sarah.
0: Thank you, Alana.
1: Thanks for joining me for another evening of Radio Architecture with Alana Raspash. This live show was broadcast and recorded in the Radio Carum studio on Bonarong Country. You can replay the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting Community Radio. Take care. G'day, this is Al Carlson and I'm kicking on with you on Radio Carum. Keep it locked.